Well, good morning. In a, another minute or two, we'll have a few of the parents show back up. But uh, the summer is always an interesting time for us because there's a number of us that have other things that are going on during the summer uh, between sports or ranching responsibilities for some and, and, uh, and events like uh, Autorama and uh, Rodeo are very big events in the city and we have people participate in those things. So uh, we always look forward to around September when everyone seems to kind of get back from the other activities and, and we uh, start having everyone back together again. It's always nice to to have everyone back. <clears throat> Let's open up in prayer and then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you that uh, that you love us, that you have called us to be your children and that you've called us to be a part of this local church and and even if your people are visiting here that are from other churches, from somewhere else, we, we know that we are related in Christ with them and, and welcome them and that there is a, uh, a very common uh, love here that we can have with them, even though we may not know them. And we pray that you will help us to uh, be uh, the type of men and women in Christ that you want us to be and, and loving and, and graceful and uh, compassionate. And, uh, Lord, we just uh, ask that as we begin this uh, worship uh, in time of, of, of hearing from your word, that you will be with me. Give me the words to speak that you want your people to hear today. And uh, we thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this summer we're working through a mini-series on answering hard questions from the Bible. Uh, there's been uh, two sermons that I've done, this one and uh, a previous one, the one on abortion, which uh, I know, uh, and I've, I've had people mention it, that you know, it kind of seems like that's really not a hard question in the Bible when you talk about some of these subjects. Uh, this morning I'm dealing with uh, the topic of pro- uh, pornography, which uh, I would think would fall in that also. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you probably already have the at least knowledge that pornography is uh, a sin and not something that we should be involved in. But someone gave us the, the question and asked the question, so we wanted to address it. And I thought this morning that I would uh, uh, tell you some of what the, the Bible, and in particular the New Testament, has to say about it. And uh, for those young ears that are here, uh, parents, it's okay. I, I it will not be going off on any sidetracks that will uh, be of any concern to you. So uh, um, I, I will I will be careful with that. So this morning I'll be speaking on the the sin of pornography, but since this type of sexual sin falls under the definition of lust, and uh, you can consider that this sermon will be, really be a message on the sin of lust, even though pornography is uh, the focus of what I am kind of pointing out. And to be clear from the very start, all lustful thinking is a grave sin in God's sight. And if it's tolerated, if we let it thrive in our minds and find a hold, 
It is only the beginning of our lust. And it can absolutely take you into gross sin. Now I believe I probably just heard a few of you thinking to yourself, as you're sitting there thinking that, eh, well, this topic doesn't have anything to do with me. I don't have a problem with pornography. So it looks like it might be a good opportunity to take a little nap or your mind might take off after some other responsibility you have and start planning on how you're going to deal with it. But before you do, let me share some statistics with you that I think will be alarming. In 2016, the research group Barna conducted a survey. And I typically take surveys with a grain of salt when you're dealing with statistics and you're dealing with surveys. There's lots of ways it can be manipulated, but it is also a way that you could possibly get a general flavor, a general consensus, if you will, from a test group of set parameters that may give you a glimpse of what is taking place in society. It's not foolproof, but I I hope you don't just throw out the the results of this just because it says it was 3,000 people. But listen to this survey. It was 3,000 people made up of teenagers, young adults, pastors, and youth pastors across the United States. Some of their findings were that people had a difficulty defining porn and what porn is. In other words, the participants had trouble agreeing what the definition of pornography is, what makes up pornography and what it would include. Most Americans do not believe that partial nudity or in some cases full nudity would qualify as pornography. They would think it's, it's okay. People use porn for the obvious reason, and that's arousal. However, some of these participants in the survey said that it was also used because someone was bored, so they started chasing pornography or looking at it. They were curious, or because they thought it was fun. Most Americans would agree that porn is bad for society as a whole. But those attitudes are shifting towards neutrality or good for society among the younger generations. They're becoming more acceptable and accepting of it than what uh, maybe the older generation did. Only a small number of adults reported that using porn caused them to have any guilt. Although practicing Christians are twice as likely as others to experience guilt if they do that. Thank goodness. Pornography has gone almost completely digital. When I was a kid, it was magazines and things like that. But now with the Internet and the cell phones and the various data, electronic data available, it's gone almost completely digital. 71% 
of adults and 85% of teens and young adults who have viewed pornography did so using online videos. Not only is porn more accessible in the digital context, but unsolicited porn has increased substantially as well, meaning someone's not actually looking for it. It's getting sent to them through email or or pop-up ads or however that may come up, unsolicited porn. I check my junk email file occasionally if I'm missing a message that I was expecting or before I delete it, even though it will delete on its own after a period of time. Uh, occasionally emails will get sent in there. Before I hit the delete button, I double-check real quick to make sure nothing in there looks like something that would be important. I'm amazed sometimes how extremely long the list is of sexually suggestive emails in just the subject lines in the junk file. Nearly half of young adults say that they've come across porn at least once a week while using electronic device. Parents, you need to be careful with your children. Don't let them just have uh, unsupervised access to Internet devices. At least once a week, young adults say that they come across porn, even though they're not seeking it out. While porn has typically been thought to be a man's domain, its usage among young women seemed to to have become more common, perhaps due to the digital access also. Teen girls and young women are significantly more likely to actively seek out porn than women who are over 25, which is similar in numbers to men. However, more than half of women 25 and under do actively look for porn, and one-third seeks it out at least monthly. If this information hasn't been concerning, here's some more. Most pastors in that survey, 57%, and youth pastors, 64%, admit that they have struggled with pornography either currently or in the past. Over 21% of youth pastors and 14% of pastors admitted that they currently were struggling with pornography. 12% of youth pastors and 5% of the pastors said that they were addicted to pornography. The vast majority of the faith leaders who struggled with porn did say that this had significantly affected their ministry in a negative manner. And how could it not? That survey is the the porn phenomenon done by Barna in February of 2016, if you want to look at the survey. According to an article entitled, Why Pornography is the Greatest Threat to Today's Church, by a man by the name of Steve Gallagher, who is the president, I believe, of Pure Life Ministries uh, website, says that the percentage of Christian men viewing pornography is the same as that of unbelievers, 33 to 50%. So you think that it's something that it's more of a problem to unbelievers? The numbers don't show that. They show that the church, people who claim to be Christians, struggle with the same problem that the unbelievers do. 
So these statistics are an accurate reflection of the general population of Americans and the American church or the Western church, then I would say we have a problem. Even if they're not fully a picture of this local church, which you can kind of take those statistics and those, those you know, the 3,000 across the country and kind of narrow it down and put it in different categories and start looking at how does this affect our church? Even if it's not fully a picture of our local church, and I'm saying if, statistically, there are still likely some here among us that currently and surely some that have previously had struggles with with pornography or some sort of lust in their lives. And I am one of these. I would think everyone here, if I would ask, with the exception of maybe some of the younger kids, would probably have to admit that you have probably struggled sometime in your life with lust. Maybe not pornography itself, but lust. Pornography is no longer just a man's temptation. Women also struggle with lust and pornography. I suspect women always had. Nothing has changed really that in society that would have made this happen, I don't believe. I think we just fail to recognize the problem for what it is. We're assaulted every day by billboards and TV shows advertisements, movies, books, magazines, online solicitations, and on and on that seek to raise our level of desire and to tempt us to lust. Someone told me last week that he and his daughter were kayaking on the river and that they passed some ladies on the beach sunbathing that were wearing very revealing bathing suits. It's that common and that easily to come across when you're, you're out enjoying family time and have no intentions of even, I mean, you're in the woods on a river and it comes. But what are we supposed to do when these are practically being thrown at us from all directions? Hopefully today I'll have some answers for you. As with the word abortion, when I did that sermon a few weeks back, the word pornography is not a word that if you were to go looking in the Bible for, that you would find it specifically. But its Greek word, the root word, appears many times, especially in the New Testament, and it refers to immorality and sexual sin. The Greek words that pornography comes from is porneia, There's a noun and a verb tense for it. It means immoral sexual relations. And then the word graphy, which I'm probably not pronouncing these right, which is where we get the word graph or graphic. So when you put these two words together, pornea and graphy, together it would refer to the graphic display of sexually immoral acts in writing or with images. That's kind of the official, I guess, the definition of what pornography would be. According to Pure Life Ministries, 
The use of porneia appearing in the New Testament always refers to sexual sin, and it is never used to refer to the God-ordained sexual relations that are between married couples. So when that word is used, when you're able to identify it, it's speaking of sin and lust, sexual lust, sexual immorality in various forms. Well, let's look at a couple of verses where the word porneia is used. Some of these are probably familiar passages to you, even though maybe you didn't look at it in the past with the thought of dealing with porneia or pornography. You've seen it in other uses. Turn to uh, Matthew 15 with me. Verse 18, Matthew 15, verse 18. Jesus is talking to the disciples. And, uh, well, he's talking to the Pharisees, and then the disciples ask for some clarifications on what defiles a person. And listen to what he says in uh, verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, Slander. These are what defile a person. So, the word there for sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia. But also notice the list that Jesus gave the disciples of things that come from the heart. And notice he doesn't say some hearts or their hearts or narrowed it down in any way. It's the human heart. And I think all of us have one of those. So we can look at ourselves and say, these things are possible even from our heart. Because it's a human problem. These things are what defile you. In 1 Corinthians 5.1, you don't have to turn here, I'll just read it to you. Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. And he says in verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this thing be removed from you. This particular sexual sin that is in the church at Corinth was being tolerated by the church. And there's some thought, not that it matters, but there's some thought that Paul had written a previous letter to them addressing some of the things that had been going on and in, part of, in the letter, he addresses not associating with unbelievers and people who are out of, uh, you know, not in the church, it's not as a church member, 
and not associating with things that they were doing in sin and that there was confusion over the thought that, okay, well, these people are in the church and even though they're sinning, we weren't told to separate from them. We're not supposed to associate with these other people. So there was some toleration going on and obviously some confusion over over uh, scriptures. But Paul is saying that that particular act that was going on was so vile that even the unbelievers around them would have been scandalized by it. He also points out, if you continue reading this, that sexual immorality that's, immorality that's being allowed to take place unchallenged in the church affects the whole body of the church. It defiles the local body. So for someone to be able to be doing some type of sexual immorality and is being allowed in the church and not being confronted by the leaders in the, in the congregation can defile the whole body and affect the whole body. This particular sexual sin was that of incest and it falls under the definition of porneia. In Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you, warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are things that you would expect in an unregenerated person. But that doesn't mean that once you're a Christian, you're exempt from falling in some of these same sins. These sins characterize all unredeemed man, though it doesn't mean that every person necessarily commits every one of these, and it's not meant to be an exhaustive list. There's more things, which he kind of says, and things such as these. Though, again, I believe that everybody is capable of doing these sins. In all these verses, the word translated into English as sexual immorality is the Greek noun for porneia. It's also uh, used in, in a verb format, which I wanted to just share a few of those verses so you can kind of hear what they have to say. 1 Corinthians 6.18, we're commanded, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. 1 Corinthians 10.8 We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 20,000 or 23,000 fell dead in a single day, speaking of an incident that took place in earlier times. And lastly, in Revelation 17.2 Towards the end of time, 
with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of those in uh, the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Again, this is all the word porneia being used. So you can see that the Bible makes it very clear that sexual immorality or porneia, which is any sexual immorality, which I believe the viewing of pornography is included in that definition, that it is a sin. So why do people participate in it? Especially if we're a believer, why do we end up uh, finding it and pursuing it if you have fallen into that category? More generally, why do we open ourselves up to other types of lusts? Maybe not visual uh, images such as uh, movies or uh, things like that, but in books or um, tapes, uh, songs, listening to maybe a particular music that's graphic and, and, and foul and puts these same types of images in your mind. There's only one reason that can explain it, and that's to engage in sexual sin. The viewing of pornography serves no other purpose but to feed a lust and engage in sexual fantasy that will only lead to further degradation. When you purposely expose yourself to pornography, it begins to weaken your ability to resist the temptation of pursuing more. We're already tempted when things are thrown at us. The idea is to be spiritually strong enough in your faith and in your walk to be able to flee from that and resist it. But when you start nibbling at it, it becomes harder to say no and to fight it. And Satan will try to work any angle that he can possibly use to convince you that it's no big deal, that you can handle it, that it won't go any further, that you can stop anytime you want to, or that it's not hurting anyone, especially anyone else, maybe, maybe myself, but not hurting anybody else. All of these are lies. But for many, as the survey results indicated, it doesn't stop. They get deeper and deeper into the sin until it leads to other sexual sins. When you are exposing yourself intentionally, especially to lust and to pornography, and you continually do that, you are in danger of going into other sexual sins, such as adultery or premarital sex or many other types of sexual sins that are out there. But it will also be successful in affecting and possibly destroying your ministry if you're a Christian, your marriage if you're married, your family life, your work life, and it will surely interfere with your relationship with your God. 
You cannot be involved in sexual sins and be effective in any of these areas in your life. It will interfere with all those areas. I'm familiar with some of these results because as a young teenager, I was exposed to pornography. When a neighborhood friend found his father's stack of girly books that were supposed to be hidden. From there, it led to further exposure, both innocently and intentionally, that has had significant impact on my early Christian walk, ministry, and marriage. So I do speak with some experience. And even today, I must always be on guard, even as you do, because it comes at me, and I don't know, because of my past, if it seems to come more at me than maybe somebody else. Sometimes I feel that way. But all of us, I think, are constantly having to keep a guard up. And our society doesn't give us a break. And I, I tried to, to make sure I wasn't uh, trying to pick on any particular incidents or any particular sex, but for some reason this one came to mind when I was writing this, that even when girls and women who are raised in a Christian family or in the church don't see anything wrong with wearing very revealing clothing or swimsuits, I, I cringe sometimes to especially the, some of the younger generation and some of the things that they wear and they are Christians and you know, no reason to doubt that, but they don't see a problem with wearing some of the stylish clothes that everybody else is wearing. Or men who wear swimsuits or clothing that is tight or shows off your body. Well, that doesn't necessarily affect me, and I'm long past even thinking of doing that. Uh, I know it happens. They, boys and teens, run into the same issues of wanting to look like everybody else, look like their friends, and wear the stylish clothes, and they do it to sometimes show off their bodies. While the one doing this may not think that there's anything wrong with it, it could be a temptation to sin to somebody else who's struggling with lust. And if your thought when you hear that is, that's not my problem, shame on you. Because if you're a believer and you're tempting another person to sin, it is very much your problem. You should be concerned about your brothers and sisters and doing things that don't draw somebody into, te- into temptation. Sexual immorality in any form must be looked at by the church as sin and taught and guarded against. Christians must hate sin as much as God hates sin. And that's hard for us to understand. and I'm not even sure we can fully understand it. But when we are light on sin, any sin, we're not taking it as serious as God does. 
This includes any form of pornography. This includes any form of lust. If you are currently struggling with pornography, and again, I don't just mean watching filthy movies or looking at sites on the internet. That's included, but that's not the limit of it. But if you're reading books that encourage lust, romance books or I mean, I, I don't read romance books, but I, I do read sometimes books that are you know, in the categories of adventure or spy thrillers and things like that. And it's amazing. Once in a while, it pops up that they're throwing stuff in there. Like, why, why is this even here? It doesn't. But it just pops out at you. And there's other books that is obviously that's the intent of the book. You, when you buy that series, you know what's going to be in it. There will be lustful things in it. Watching movies that show nudity or sexual activity in the privacy of your home and saying, eh, you know, this is life. I can, I can deal with this little bit of exposure. It's not bothering me. And I know that some others do it here because I know I've done that where you just kind of let something go by going, oh, okay, well, that's no big deal. I mean, now we're having to get where as soon as you start seeing scenes getting set up, you have to go, okay, that movie's over and cancel that series, <laughs> that season. And I know I risk getting in trouble with this because I know how popular it has been with people I know and I, I've heard Christians talking about watching the series Game of Thrones. But the little bit of exposure I've had to Game of Thrones, that series is not one that a believer should be watching. You're exposing yourself to things that you should not be exposing yourself to. So if you're currently struggling with pornography, and as one of your pastors as a brother in the Lord, and as one who has experienced the pain of pornography and what it will surely bring to your life, to your marriage, you must stop. You must confess it as sin. You must seek forgiveness. And then you need to set safeguards to be able to resist the temptation to pursue it again because it will come. And if you've already felt the shame and hurt and despair that comes from pornography addiction or other forms of lust, you need to stop. It's time to get help, to get control of that. Young people here today, listen to me as I warn you to be very careful what you look at. Be careful what you read. Be careful of the websites that you get tempted at or the things that your friends try to show you. Be careful what you watch on TV or on the computer. 
you'll have many things that people will try to tell you that it's okay to look at or that it's no big deal. Don't listen. Don't listen. This is the great deceiver who is trying to trick you into sin. And it can lead you into a lifelong misery. And if you're already struggling with these things, if you've already had people do this to you, talk to your parents. They love you. And they'll get you the help you need to be able to not have that happen anymore. The Bible has a lot of verses against sexual immorality, but it also offers great hope and a road to victory over all sin, including sexual immorality. There is forgiveness through confession to God and through true repentance. Ephesians 1 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. That doesn't mean just the sins that we confess when we are asking Him to save us. That means all the sins that you've ever committed, that you'll ever commit. So even as a believer, if you're still sinning, and my guess, if you're breathing, you are, you still have forgiveness of that sin, but it needs to be confessed, repented of. First John 1 says, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just because you are dealing with lust or pornography or any other sin that you may be struggling with, there is hope. There is hope in the cross. There's hope in Jesus. Romans 5 gives us even a clearer vision of, of that great hope. Or starting in verse 5, he says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin 
and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. What a great passage this is. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So if you're a Christian and you're struggling with a habitual sin, you don't have to. You have the victory already won, the power to do it. You have the power through the Holy Spirit that's within you to resist temptation and flee from sin. It may require you to take some extraordinary steps now because you've allowed yourself to get into some of this stuff. But the victory is still yours. The battle has already been fought. We can help you learn about these scriptures and those safeguards that you might be able to use if you need help with that. And There are Christian programs such as the one I mentioned, Pure Life Ministries, and there's others that has uh, a lot of information. Some of them, even parents, uh, you might you need it in the future. Uh, they also offer uh, various um, uh, software or programs to be able to uh, kind of lock up your internet devices or the data devices so that your children and possibly you are protected from some of the things that you might be exposed to. So if you're one of these that are struggling and you need and, that, and, and, and you are ready to break free from the grasp of pornography, then I encourage you to, to reach out to one of us this morning. Let us pray with you. Let us talk to you. We'll, we'll get you help to try to get control of this. So that's kind of what I have for you this morning. Um, again, uh, though the focus was kind of on pornography, I don't want to have you leave here thinking that that's not an issue that you're dealing with, but maybe there's one of those other issues that you're dealing with that falls under pornea. Maybe there's just another another habitual sin you're dealing with. Maybe you, you're having trouble with prescription drugs. Maybe you're an alcoholic uh, behind the scene. Maybe you're doing any number of things that you can find yourself falling into and, and being uh, imprisoned by. You have hope. Talk to us. Let us help you. Let us, let us point you in the direction to go. We'll walk that walk with you. Some of us have already walked it. So we, we can help you. We'll uh, call the worship team up and ask that the communion to be passed out. We'll share communion together.
and celebrate what it is that God through His Son has done for us in sending uh, Him to the cross and raising again and giving us that victory and that power that we have in us to be able to live the lives that He desires us to live. So as the elements are passed around, please hold them and we'll take it together.